Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the past four weeks have been a whirlwind for me. I don't know if it has felt that way for all of you, but somehow it's already May. After spending two weeks training a whole new group of seasonal staff, my team at Youth Opportunities Unlimited began our intake process two weeks ago. So we usually see about 40 to 50 percent of families that we have scheduled for appointments actually show up and attend their appointment. But this year, we are seeing a wonderful problem and about 70 to 80% of families are showing up. So that means our team and myself have been busy from when the doors open at 10 until when the doors close at 7.30 and we are pushing the last family out of the door. It has been a long slog, but a very, very exciting time. So we are two weeks in, and we are 80% of our way to enrolling 1,350 youth this summer for a summer job, which is incredible uh, that we have had such high numbers already. So forgive me if I'm a little tired this morning. 
So to keep our team motivated with such high turnout and such high engagement and to keep them upbeat, we provide a lot of their favorite snacks throughout the day. But we also have team huddles at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day where we share our highs, our lows, and our buffaloes. So the highs are just a chance for us to look around and say, hey, you did a really good job today with a really difficult family. Wonderful, right? Like give each other the props that we each deserve. Recognition. Our lows tend to be chances for us to say, y'all continue to do the math wrong. Let's practice the math a little more. Here are some reminders. Here's how we can update things to keep it moving faster. But everyone's favorite are the buffaloes. And that's just truly comic relief to get the group laughing and relaxing. And it usually involves me pulling out the 30-second dance party button that I bought and pushing it and then just breaking it down with the group. When they are... The families who are coming in particularly enjoy it because they're there to try to just get in and out. And when everyone's looking really stressed and the room is full of parents, I'll just walk out with this 30-second dance party button and hit it. And everyone just starts dancing, and the parents just sort of join in, and it just lightens the mood. So after the buffaloes, at the end of every shift, the last thing that we do is we talk briefly about the next day to make sure everyone is prepared to show up at the right place. You see, part of our strategy to engage with families is to move our intake sessions around to different locations throughout the county so we can get as close to where families live as possible, which means we need to make sure that our staff are showing up at the right place. So we announce the location, Remind everyone of the address, even though we've emailed it, put it in print. We just review it again. And also remind everyone of where to park, making sure that they park as far away from the building as possible so that our families can be close. But as everyone is leaving, the program leaders are always stuck for an extra 15 minutes because a few people ask, where are we going? How do I get there? Where do we park again? So I will be real and say I try not to get irritated. I do my best because we have just spent five minutes, ten minutes answering the same questions. But I have learned that I'm just going to embrace those questions as opportunities to make connections with those that I get to work with to really make sure they know exactly where they're supposed to be, to be as concrete as I can. I bring all of this up because I believe Jesus, especially in the interactions depicted in the Gospel of John, used a similar technique. I can just see him taking a deep breath and looking at his disciples like, really? You're asking this question? Throughout John's Gospel, we see the disciples asking the witless questions that are probably, to be fair, on all of our minds. Am I right? Here, it is Thomas and Philip asking the questions that we all probably really want to ask, because I find this passage to be pretty dense, pretty thick, with a lot of meaning. 
So let's just remind ourselves. The creators of our lectionary cycle have jumped back in time. Let's just name that. Because Jesus has died and been resurrected. We have been farther along in the story of John. But for some reason, our lectionary writers, our creators, put us back in chapter 14. Back to before Jesus was crucified, before he was resurrected. Why? Why are they doing that? You see, we are moving towards Pentecost Sunday, towards the ascension, when Jesus will leave the disciples until he comes again. The disciples will have to become the bearers of the story in the world. We, we, all of us, will have to become the bearers of Jesus' story in the world. And so, the creators of our lectionary have us jump back so we can be reminded of Jesus' words to the disciples at a time when he was preparing them for his absence. You see, in chapter 13, Jesus has just announced that he is going to be leaving them. As you can imagine, those words fell like a lead balloon, as did the faces of the disciples. What? Where, where are you going? You, you can't leave us. Jesus could read the room, though. And at the start of chapter 14, he meets their dismay with words of reassurance. Words that we often read and often hear at memorial services. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Where I am going, there is room for you. There will always be room for you where I am. Because where I am, you will be also. Words of reassurance to greet their troubled hearts. And then Jesus says, And you know the way to the place where I am going. And as if on cue, there is Thomas with his question. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And this is the part of this text where most of us get stuck. This next part, which is one of the most famous passages, and I know, tell me about it. One of the most famous passages in Scripture carries a lot of baggage in the church. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For far too long, this passage has been the centerpiece for the Christian exclusivity movement, for the Christ alone, for those who want to say that all other world religions are less than, are not worthy. It's been the centerpiece of Christian nationalism in the way that we have, Christians, have 
lorded ourselves above everyone else in the world. And the argument that it is only through Christ that people can know God. For those whose lives are shaped by this mindset, I truly believe they are missing a bigger message in this text. But before we look for that, I would mention that those claims of Christ alone, in my mind, actually diminish the power of God and the power of Jesus at work in the world. It diminishes the expansiveness, the omnipotence of God and how God can move and live in the world this day. It limits the belief that God can and does act in the world in whatever ways God needs to, to connect with God's creation. Do y'all feel that? If we cling so tightly to Christ alone, we fail to imagine how Christ might be made known in the world. We fail to acknowledge that God is active in ways that we can't understand. So I'll leave you with that, and maybe at another point, come back to it. But let's get back to Thomas's question to Jesus. How are we going to get there? His question is very much like my team's questions. How do we literally get to the place where you are going? But Jesus' response was something else. Thomas asked Jesus, how will we know the way? The word the way in Greek is the word hodos. And it is the word for way or road or highway. While the term can serve as an understanding for an actual road or way, Hodos can also mean a journey or a trip. However, there is also a connotation that serves a metaphorical purpose. Hodos can also represent the way or the way of life that connotes behavior. In the Acts of the Apostles, the first Jesus followers called themselves people of the way. People of Hodos. In the times prior to the writing of the Gospel of John, philosophers such as Plato and Aristotle thought of the philosophical systems as methodical Hodos. Jesus is teaching in the exact same vein as those philosophers. Thomas and then Philip are asking the question, in a literal highway sense. What road do I get on to get where you are going? But Jesus is answering metaphorically. How do we get to the place where Jesus is with God? Jesus is not looking at Thomas and Philip and saying, okay, you're going to go out of the parking lot and turn left on Detroit turn right on Westview Drive, then turn right on Wager, is that right? And then turn left on Lorraine, oop, and there you are at the reservation. You're good, that's how you get there. 
by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is telling us that we will find Christ by living the way Christ lived. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We will find Christ by living the way he lived. By showing mercy. By loving kindness. By offering forgiveness. By feeding the poor. Clothing the naked. By showing forth the goodness and mercy of God made known by Jesus Christ in every interaction that he had while he lived. Christians have spent so much time viewing this passage as a claim to exclusivity that we have missed the invitation and the expectation. That when we live by the way of Jesus, the way of community and connection, we find abundant life. And we discover the truth that by giving abundantly, we are drawn closer into the heart of God who has created a place for us. For where Christ is, we will be also. There is always room for us. So friends, let us be people of the way. Let us be people of hodos. Let us show forth the goodness and mercy of Christ so that friends and neighbors and strangers may come to know Christ's love for them each and every day. So that those who find their way in these doors or those that encounter us at Target, at Chipotle, or wherever it is that we are, may come to know Christ's love for them and be drawn in to the arms of God so that they too may go deeper and deeper into relationship and become followers of the way. May it be so. Amen.